0: Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on
1: Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast My name is Musa Kwanga. I'm, my name is, You're, wow. Like, like Slim Shady. <laughs> Whoa. Whenever I travel, I go weird. I've noticed this actually, I go weird when I travel. Which is a lot. Um, yeah, that's true. It's a lot of weird. Okay. Start again. Well,
2: I, I'm Ryan Hunt. No, it's fine. You're in. We're, we're keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> i made an editorial decision and that is staying in.
0: How are you, man? Good weekend? A very good, thanks. Extremely stressful actually on one. From one perspective, there was a very stressful five-hour period watching Rafael Nadal winning the Australian Open. Ooh, um, yeah. That was stress I did not want. That's something I did not ask for. Big um, but once again, it imposed myself on my afternoon. Well worth it. Incredible victory, his twenty-first Grand Slam. And I did tweet this. I was like, "It's very stressful, like supporting him in any capacity, and I don't want it." At the same time, I find myself compelled to watch it. But yeah, incredible feat. That I really like Daniel Medvedev, though. He's he was great. That speech was amazing. Yeah, was so good, man. He is a bit of a kind of heel, a professional heel in terms of he's a bit of a villain um, for the fan base because he's not really a crowd favourite. But the graciousness of his concession speech was absolutely wonderful. It was really special.
2: He's always really good in interviews, I think.
0: He's great, yeah. But also like the context of that, the man was two, I think he was what, he was two sets in a breakup and he, and he lost the year before to Djokovic in straight sets. So this was a, this is a big deal for him. The Australian Open is interesting because it's a tournament where a lot of people have heartbreak. Mm-hmm. But people kept sending me that thing. The suffering is necessary. Yeah. People. <laughs> it is. It is. Maybe. So, yeah. Maybe. Maybe it is. There's someone, there was someone who wrote to me who is an Atleti and an adult fan. And I'm not sure what kind of self punishment that is. But anyway. Wow. That's a tough, that's a tough gig. Yeah. Wow.
2: Um. we hope everyone's staying safe and well, getting vaccinated if you can, obviously getting that booster if you can. Uh, Righty's house this week will be myself and Ian Wright, the the great man. Uh, we'll we'll be talking all kinds of stuff, and we may get into a couple of questions as well. We stuck a thing out for questions to so check Twitter, check the Righty's House Twitter account at Righty's House. If you want to ask a question or two, we'll try and get to a couple. This week's Thursday uh, edition of Stadio, we'll try and get into more of the transfer roundup. We're going to swerve it today because we're recording this on deadline day.
0: There's been some wild ones though, man.
2: There's some wild. But there has ones. been
0: some. Not, yes, absolutely wild and there has been some incredible business. We'll yeah. get into that but
2: I want us to talk about you know some of our favorite transfers in the window and stuff like that so let's do it all on Thursday.
0: yeah but what I will say before in advance is I don't think I've liked so many transfers in a January window before I
2: know it's felt it's felt quite busy I don't know if it actually has been busy but it felt it's felt quite busy feels like it. yeah yeah at the ringer.com forward slash soccer if you want to check some stuff on the ringer. And yes, study our play players on Spotify, and if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. And I think that is all the admin. So today we are going to touch on Afcon quarterfinals, which were good. They were. We're going to talk about the Canada US game World Cup qualifier that happened on Sunday,
0: and also the kind of interesting arm wrestle yeah, that kind of they're engaged in. I think
2: we'll talk a bit about that, and we'll talk about Frank Lampard, right? we're going to start with something very grim. Mm. Quick content warning here because we discussed the highly publicised case over the weekend. So if you don't want to listen to that, skip forward to the next time code in the podcast description and that will take you past all of this discussion. Manchester United's Mason Greenwood has been arrested on suspicion of rape and assault. This was following posts from a woman's social media account over the weekend, which were truly horrific. We have to be careful what we say here. Right. So we're not gonna mention the woman's name because even though she posted them from her account and a lot of people know, we still believe that she has to be protected as much as possible. And has the right
0: anonymity, yeah.
2: Yes. Manchester United did not post anything from their social media accounts during the day. However, they did release a statement that confirms that Greenwood will not return to training or be playing matches until further notice following the images and allegations of the abuse. Uh, Greater Manchester Police confirms that it was making inquiries on Sunday and then it later released a statement saying that um, an investigation was launched and they confirmed that a man in his 20s has been arrested on suspicion of rape and assault and he remains in custody for questioning. Inquiries are ongoing. A horrific story, and one which would have been extremely difficult for a number of people to see. Reading the discourse as well, I think would have been extremely disappointed from seeing some of the stuff that people were posting about it. Yeah. Discourse around football sometimes just completely alienates a a, a huge part of the fan base and and really suggests that the sport doesn't care about them. Mm. Mm. Uh, You wrote a tweet correctly saying how quickly extremely serious situations and allegations can descend into banter and tribalism just think about people who have had something similar happen to them and take them into consideration more than your loyalty towards a certain player or fa- or, or football club because mm. those are the people who will see it and who will be affected the most by it not the person that you are trying to root for
0: absolutely right you know very well said and i think you know The interesting thing about the instinct to joke about these things, you know, we know that people joke to distance themselves from a serious subject matter. The question I suppose is why you're distancing yourself, why you feel that's appropriate and how you feel that plays out, you know, how you feel you're, and some people don't care how that's regarded. And I'll be brutal about this, brutally honest. In my experience, the people that joke about those situations and scenarios are those who on some level tacitly accept them because they become fodder. If you're using, um, allegations like this to taunt people, then you're not taking them as serious as you should be. And you're actually creating the foundation for them to be more widely accepted um, because they are serious. You know, They are serious. Uh, There's a great piece by Laura Williamson on this, um, The Athletic. Shout out to her. She wrote a superb piece. And I got a message. I'll be very, you know, on a personal note, I got a message from uh, a very dear friend, a close friend today who said that sort of the handling of this you know, how he regards sort of, you know, he was dissatisfied with the club's handling of this, just to say the general handling of issues um, like this and said that was kind of the final straw. And that is a lifelong Manchester United fan who has parted company. That's a lifelong Manchester United fan. And this isn't really about this particular case with the allegations. It's just about the general attitude towards issues like this. That, that's an, I, I, that is a personal note, I have to say that, but that, It's not just the outcome of these specific cases, Ryan. It's not just whether someone's, you know, what's proven or not. It's really just about an overall approach to these issues and a a matter of conduct. And that's not just for an institution. That's for the individual supporting institution. That's for football fans, rival fans, whatever they call themselves on social media. And if I sound pious, then fine. Um, But it's an issue that I care about far more than I ever care about football. I'll be carrying out this issue long after I stop watching football. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we've had a, I'm glad we have the chance on a platform to say that. And like you said before, like all sympathies with everyone who, for whom these um, uh, instances like these allegations, like these uh, matters, like these bring up some, you know, very painful traumas, memories, um, realities.
2: There's two podcasts in a row now that we've, but that we've began with two extremely, traumatic, cruel, difficult stories.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: It affects so many people who adore and love the sport and have a right to be involved and cared for in the same way that numerous other demographics do. And you cannot ignore that. Absolutely, yeah. Their fandom matters. They matter. And football and society has to do more to make sure that those people are welcomed and protected and that things are dealt with in a certain way to make sure that they feel someone mm. Yeah.
0: You know? And can it's I say like, one it's more like thing said well this, I, this. I think we said this yeah. before with the Ronaldo yeah.
2: stuff. It's not my game. It's not your yeah. game.
0: And actually, I, 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 love the, I love that you said that. I love that you said that. And I want to just jump in before I forget this, because you've said something that's really spurred me to talk about this. Um, it's absolutely their game. And one thing I want to say as well is the individual in question that made the allegations, you know, put out a series of images and, and that was an audio as well was very difficult to sort of, you know, hear, but I think for several people, it was important. Now the response to those overwhelmingly, I will say there was, these were taken on that for the most part, I saw a response to it. And in, in previous cases, when allegations have been less, um, when they've been less graphic in terms of the, the video produced and whatever, I've seen some of the same people who were outraged yesterday, trivializing allegations and, What frustrates me, Ryan, is the extent that women have to go to to make their case. And I would say the normalization of sexual assault is such that it's so difficult to bring any case like this, right? Regardless of the outcome, it's so difficult to like raise this issue in public that we as a public, we make too many demands on people bringing these subjects forward. We expect absolute chapter and verse. And I can say, um, having some knowledge of situations like this, the burden that people are putting on women to bring these issues forward is still far too severe. And all the people who are out- outraged should check themselves and look back to previous situations, you know, across football, across sport, not just in sport, not just in football, but you know, in relation to the allegations recently published by someone like Roman Molina, for example, in relation to all of these allegations, they should look and think to themselves, why are we putting so much exploitation on women? And, and, and men also who experience this form of abuse as well as in the case of the Remain Millenial allegations. Mm-hmm. Why, do, why does it have to get to a point of such desperation that we have to take this seriously? That's, I suppose, what I want to say. Um, because I think those people, and they know who they are, have played their part in failing women and men that, and, and people that experience these assaults.
2: Yeah, and I so, think yeah. we've said this again before. It's just that even us talking about this now, there is no doubt in our life that we have failed. Yeah. Everyone has failed at some
0: point. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You have to deal with that. You have to make sure that you do your absolute best not to fail again.
0: If we were succeeding as a society, then we wouldn't be discussing this. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about joy, because I think we all deserve some joy. Joy which came at the expense of perhaps one team. (laughs) What can we say about this? Canada 2, the US men's national team, nil. World Cup qualifier, CONCACAF. Canada 4 points clear, undefeated, top of the group, heading towards the World Cup.
2: Alfonso Davies going wild on Twitch. Twitching on Twitch,
0: yeah. (laughs) Going wild on Twitch. And do you know what this this performance by Canada? A supreme counterpunch. You know the the how do I say this? Two nil goals, uh, an early goal from Carl Larren and both goals. Can I say this? Both Canadian goals for different reasons. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, like like Champions League level sophistication in execution. Like leaping on the clearance out. Grace Robertson. Grace. Shout out to Grace on football on Twitter. Gray's talking about like, oh, don't play out for the back, like mocking it because a long clearance from the US was just leapt upon by Canada. And the exploitation of that from the moment that clearance was seized upon, and it wasn't the worst clearance, the moment that clearance was seized upon in the centre circle, it was lights out. The speed of the transition from Canada to work that into the area and the superb finish by Carl Lowen, who had 23 and 46. Great strike, great. Um, just that... That goal was so, it was the precision, which every, every country, right? Every country that doesn't have the resources like of the US, the US, if you look at like their squad is stacked in terms of the personnel, where they're playing, the US have a stacked squad. That is exactly how you exploit gaps against opposition with greater resources. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely superb, the opening goal. And the second goal, Sam Adekugba, like that goal as an individual act of brilliance is one of which, and it's great because Alphonso Davies is going wild on the bench. Goal scored from the left-back position and the kind of goal that was pure Alphonso Davies. Yeah. It was like a tribute act. Wasn't it wasn't, it was amazing as a finish, like mm-hmm. in terms of the enterprise, seizing on the ball in the halfway line, surging infield and at every point outwitting the defence to the point where when he was caught in the of the box, just plays, and I've, I've watched a lot of tennis recently, the Finish was a forehand pass into the bottom corner. It was such a lovely finish, uh, what, man. I
2: love finishes. It was a lovely like finish. that. But like finishes, uh, what I love where, about like, it. like finish, sorry to yeah. cut you, but like
0: where yeah, the players it, it, could have, have had
2: an extra touch and they're just like, don't need it, don't need it.
0: Well, I was watching a lot of Tony Crow's highlights actually this weekend, so oh, God, what sort of peak years at, yeah, yeah. Well, I was watching a lot of his um peak, fin- you know, peak era finishes, and it really was reminiscent of one of those. And um, what I love about the goal was I loved. Well, two things. First of all, it was superbly executed, but I love how it came after they had absorbed all that pressure. Mm. I really felt that like the game deserved an exclamation mark for Canada, because if we consider the kind of, I call it early, the arm wrestle they've had with the US. Lost them in the Gold Cup 1-0, but still you saw the positive signs. One all draw in September and now the 2-0 win. This feels very much like, you know the moment in the North London Derby, sorry to bring this up. When Why you sense the power shift, because it's the closest analogy Just, that I can. No, leave me alone. Why? Sorry. The moment in the North London derby when you felt the balance of power shift, or actually, man, all we can use, man, all we could use, you know, like Man don't, United. Don't. When, no. when 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 Man, no, C- it's when too man late City now. beat it's us, too late. You went there. You went there. You can't. No, no, no. Okay, I'll go there. I'll go there. But you know, when there was that game when they beat when Spurs beat you, and you're like, okay, we're afraid now. There was that match. There's that, there's one match in the derby series. You're like, okay, we're afraid now. This is serious. I felt like. With Canada, when I saw mm. this win, I was like, this is real now, because if you look at some of the, the, the US players as well, there is a slight loss of luster. They're not having some of them the best times at their clubs, and they've got big moves. They're at huge clubs, but they seem, a couple of them, sort of ill-fitting pieces at those clubs, if that makes sense, within the context of the squad, how they're being used, a sense they're being phased out in some cases. Whereas if you look at the Canadian squad, um, to use a phrase that the cool kids use these days, they're very much like in their bag. They're in the Turkish league. They're getting regular games. They remind me in some ways of the Greece side that won the Euro 2004. Like they're just tucked in, like getting good games here and there, good match fitness, good opposition, couple of trophies here and there, like couple of Turkish league titles. Like it's just, it fits. And the beauty of a team that fits where the players are getting regular games going on the radar, you've then got people like Jonathan David coming through, right? Who can Mm -hmm. play with freedom. Uh, You know, there is a, the Canadian thing, and I will say this is there's going to be a hell of a lot of expectation around them because people are paying attention to them now. Um, But no matter how great the attention gets, it's never going to be as overwhelming as it would be in the U S context. Right. And this is, I think, to throw this as well, very quickly, the U S attention and it's natural because the country wants to succeed. The attention on the signings—I just wonder if all that hype that they get straight out the gate is detrimental, because the expectation of the players' development. Like at the end of the day, these are still players playing their craft, finding their way. And
2: they're still young, and man. the
0: moment—yeah,
2: they're still young. A lot of these dudes are young, like really. Young. Does that
0: make—does that make sense? What I'm saying—it's—it's it's like yeah. um. So well, I Pulisic, like, sorry, worried.
2: sorry, Christian Pulisic is captain, okay. and he feels like he's been around yeah. forever, and he's
0: 23. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: like, there's a really good piece by Paul Tenorio on the Athletic about this actually, which does that very comparison between the kind of not so much freezing under the pressure, but the the pressure really looking like it's taking its toll on this on this U.S. side, mm. and by contrast, this Canadian side looking like they're very free. Everyone's along for the journey. There's a real positivity mm. around. Maybe that's because of a sense of a differing sense of expectations. The talk of the US Golden Generation has been long in the making, mm. and people are yet to see it really light up. Like, even if you look at those players at club level, mm. Sergino Des going to Barcelona was was like meant to make waves. It hasn't mm. really worked out, and I think it's been a you know a not so quiet secret that he would be available if someone came in for him. Pulisic mm. hasn't been able to lo- like lock down a role at Chelsea. Since moving, he's had really good patches of play, but he hasn't locked down that role, right? But also, the I think the way that his Dortmund career ended maybe checked a little bit of the the momentum for Pulisic because you know the yeah, reason that he yeah. was available in the end was because Sancho had overtaken him. I think Weston McKennie has obviously had ups and downs at Juve. He, I think he's starting to get into a bit more of a groove now. He's playing well more consistently, I think, than than he has done since he did move. Mm. There are like positives there, but I think the problem is not necessarily the individuals. I think there's more of a collective issue here with the US. And I think that just tactically, Canada just absolutely nailed it. They were they they're were, very young a, the
0: US Yeah. Yeah, yeah they are
2: the they are. But I think that the thing with the with, with this game was that this was one of those games where Canada kind of dominated the game but without the ball. Mm, right. The US had yeah. all the ball and yet, bar the odd chance, it never felt like Canada were on the back foot. right? And that is quite a, that's quite a a unique, not unique, but that's a very specific type of mindset and tactical setup. I think that you, you know, we've seen, we, we always reference the great, the great example of that are the peak Simeone teams. Right. There's peak Simeone Atleti teams that controlled the game and dominated the game without the ball. And I think that's kind of what happened here. Like kind of just let them have it. The early goal really helps. Yeah then just hit them when they needed to. And they to too honest, they could have had another before
0: that. They could have, yeah. They could have been yeah, two yeah,
2: They missed a really good opportunity. I think it was like with 20 minutes to go. For the US is almost two thirds of possession. But for that, five more shots, one more chance created and zero big chances to Canada's two. So I think there are issues with the US in terms of that, you know, they haven't scored a lot throughout this whole campaign bar the, what, Honduras game? You know they haven't really they haven't they, they scored four against Honduras, but they haven't really kind of had a bag full since they beat martinique in, in the gold cup, which you'd expect them to to stick a, mm. a low past martinique. This side has the pieces to create more. I think the El Salvador game was a bit of a weird one because they did create a lot and they should have put more than one away yeah and Paul referenced this in his athletic piece, and i think the the, the thing about this game is that it it puts into very stark focus how differently these potentially similar sides in terms of squads. I think that, I think there there isn't much in it from a squad talent level. I
0: would say maybe, I would say maybe strength and experience in terms of like playing together. And I would say age, I would say the senior, I think that in particular moments when you look around the dressing room and there's, you know, or just on the coach in terms of experience and like just the age and who's, I think the core, the experience core is maybe slightly stronger, slightly stronger. You're right. They're broadly comparable in, in Canada, I would say. I'm not saying they're better technically, but I'm saying in terms of just the kind of the brain's trust and the overall. But but I just the US, think, ta- I just think tactically strong, Canada
2: yeah. know how to, t- I think Canada looked from, yeah. obviously I haven't watched them as closely as, as Canadian listeners will have. Yeah. But from what I have seen of them, they seem to be a little bit more in tune to what is needed per like game by game. Mm. That's been the difference. I think that was the difference on Sunday. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah.
2: So there's four games left, with four points clear. They're going to qualify. Yeah. I think it Looks would take like something quite, quite dramatic for them not to. Uh, but the US are only a point off fourth place Panama, which is the playoff spot. Do you think the US will trip up enough to fall out of the automatic spots?
0: Honestly, honestly, I don't know at this point. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a
2: very tasty qualifying bunch. Yeah,
0: because people know how you're coming at them. The thing about Canada is they've had a good look at the US. You look mm. at those results, obviously the 1-0 defeat, the 1-0, now the 2-0, they've had a good look at them. And of course, you know, football, we said it's a copycat sport. One team sees how you can be beaten. Everyone's coming at you. And like, you know, Panama, Panama, have course, trouble before. Yes, they have. So, you know, it's, um, it's an awkward one. It's tight for them. I think they'll be fine so long as they, they stick to the plan, keep composure. And of, of course, this is where the youth of a squad can be a challenge. But having said that, they're young, but they've still, you know, they've been in some scrapes that, that squad. So they've got enough to come through. It'd yeah. be great to see them both there in the World Cup for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great in advance of the World Cup of 2026, actually.
2: Yeah. If you have like Mexico, Canada and the US all going to the World
0: Cup together, that'd be great. Yeah. Listen, Gold Cup vibes.
2: Any other stuff you want to shout out before we talk? Well, there was obviously AFCON this uh, week.
0: Yeah, very, actually, weekend. but just before, very quickly, just before that, uh, South Korea's victory over, um, Australia, AFC Asia Cup, um, GC An on amazing, goal. a spectacular strike, just the trademark GC on strike. An amazing um, goal. So yeah, just shout out to them. That was outstanding. Uh, and AFCON as well. We did drop into AFCON. Yes. Just, I mean, Egypt, Morocco was to use your word, gnarly. <laughs> it really, oh my Egypt God. Two, man, Morocco was one. was
2: so gnarly. After extra Can time. Can I say this
0: as well? I said this before, I love how the superstars have brought it. Like sometimes in a major tournament, superstars don't bring that momentum, but Mo Salah and Hakimi for Egypt and Morocco respectively really, really brought it this tournament. Outstanding, all of them. Um, Senegal with a great win over Equatorial Guinea and Senegal just have, you know, the, the, the legacy of this squad will be sealed by an AFCON victory. It's so important for them. Um, and what's great for them, what's encouraging for them, is a range of goal scoring we saw against Ecuador, Guinea, Burkina Faso with a one 0 win over Tunisia, so impressive. With what with what they're going through politically, Burkina Faso, I know. what an incredible I know. moment of escapism this squad is providing for the country. It's really that's really special as well. And they've knocked out Tunisia, a of big like, people,
2: like you know, Tunisia yeah, were Tunisia. were brutal, were kind of tipped to go a lot further, I think, than than than, than yeah, well, yeah. especially Burkina Faso. I think that's the great thing about this tournament is that. I must say every episode, man. But like anyone can get it, anyone, anyone can get it. Burkina Faso, normally
0: it. ones that give it, they're normally ones that give it. So shout exactly. out to them. Yeah. And Cameroon with a really good two 0 win over Gambia oh, handled that pretty well.
2: Yeah, especially after the yeah. absolutely horrible tragedy last week at the stadium. And I think it was like it was a very you could yeah. tell it was a very emotional game. Yeah. Um, absolute scenes when the second one went in, and. They're going to take some beating, man. I think
0: definitely, definitely, they really stepped up.
2: Burkina Faso, Senegal, Cameroon, Egypt. See, uh, I so say they're tasty. going to take some beating, so- but like the thing is, playing Egypt in the semi-final. See, I think for a lot of people, and this is going to like this is going to sound really bad, but this would have been an amazing final. Actually, Cameroon's Cameroon, Egypt.
0: Do you know what's weird about Egypt though? There's a funny thing with them where like, each time I've watched them, I'm like, this team doesn't have much goals in it. Right. They're not a team that I look at, like, you know, Senegal, really, you can see that Senegal, they can power up, you can see them putting three or four past the team. Each time I've seen Egypt match up, Ivory Coast, Morocco, to be honest with you, I thought Morocco would have taken that. I thought Ivory Coast were going to take that. But the resilience of Egypt mm. is really something. And they're counterpunching really well. Oh, to be fair against Morocco, they really, after Morocco took the lead, they went on the front foot as impressively as I've seen them all. Tournament Egypt, and mm. they were bossing that. By the time they equalised, they were really much in the ascendancy. So they, this is the it's the old cliche, but they they really are a team that has kind of grown into this tournament. I would say, yeah. Um, and they're building momentum at the right time. So yeah, but yeah. yeah Cameroon, 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 Egypt would be a great final. But having said that, so would so would Senegal, Burkina Faso. I know, like,
2: I know. That's I vibes,
0: vibes. Cameroon, Egypt is like the legacy final, but Senegal, Burkina Faso is the vibes final. And anyone, you, the chat, the chat in the WhatsApp for that is would be spicy. Who do you think is going to make it? I'm venturing. <laughs> I'm not falling into that trap again. I think that, okay, well, actually he says, I can't resist a hot take. I just think Senegal have that firepower. Mm, me too. It's not a judgment on Burkina Faso. I just think that, that if, it, if it becomes a shootout, Which these things can, I think Senegal have the chops in this. Egypt, Cameroon. Do you know what? It's just Egypt's ability to absorb shocks. It's it's, going to, I I don't know. I think, I
2: think, I think Cameroon might edge this actually. But then again, Cameroon, Senegal as a final is so This is the thing about this tournament, obviously, a bar the stampede at the stadium last week, which was absolutely horrible and just Mm. so sad and um, really. Overshadowed what has been a genuinely great tournament. Super fun to watch. As no one, you know, as the the one of only a couple of members of the Wrighties House crew who have no no ancestry in the continent. Um, very- I mean, technically, we
0: all do. Technically, we all do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no recent, <laughs> no recent ancestry, not within the last oh, so few thousand boy. years.
2: Oh, white boy gets pulled up on history. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who
2: would have thought <laughs> it? Um, let's say immediate history. Yeah, yeah, immediate. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, just a really fun, pure football watching experience. Mm. Very much. I would have taken any final, and I still would.
0: Yeah, and I think for Senegal, I mean, for me, the reason why that would be been exciting thing is just because of what they've achieved really just over the last 20 years even, yeah. right? But and then, but then you even get of, like
2: a Senegal-Egypt yeah. final and you get Mane versus Salah in the final
0: and then they both have to go back. That's to- incredible. <laughs> and that both players are bringing it. Yeah, and they have to go back to... To Liverpool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back to Liverpool. Serious. Um, women's
2: FA Cup was this weekend. Uh, we won't go through the games, but let's just say there were no major shocks. The only no. slight... Hmm, I wouldn't say shock, but... Uh, interesting result was uh, Leicester being Spurs at Spurs but other than that it was kind of it went as expected and um, there's a really good piece that Flo wrote for The Athletic about the prize money in the FA in Women's FA Cup i recommend going and read Flo that. Lord Hughes for those Flo yeah. Lord Hughes, sorry yeah. yes I just said Flo sorry sorry Flo <laughs> any other games you want to shout out or should we take a break and then talk about Frank
0: no we're good we're good we're good
2: Yep, let's do it
1: Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go!
0: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a
1: Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag
2: as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. participating McDonald's, Let's talk about Frank, who is the new Everton manager. He is. I tell you what, that Pereira interview isn't looking so smart
0: now. It's not, is it? It's not. So just to recap those who weren't aware, Vitor Pereira went on Sky Sports um, and did a phone interview basically where he said, he basically said, I'm the man for the Everton job. I've spoken to them, um, I know what they need, Pandered to the Everton crowd, oh, there's games where the crowd have won games for the players and then finish with, you know, yeah, they're making, they're talking about the candidates, what they need right out is a strong decision and they chose not to employ him. Um, because frankly, you can't employ someone after they do a thing like that. mm so Vito Pereira wasn't appointed. They've appointed Frank Lampard. And I will say this, him getting this job rather reminds me of when you see, you know, when you see a cat jump out of like a first floor window and you're like, there's no way that cat is going to land anywhere but on its back. And it somehow twists around, lands on its feet and then like sort of jogs away. He's pretty much done that after the Chelsea job because he was brought in at Chelsea. There was an element of interim. There was an element of, you know, he, like he wasn't doomed to fail, I don't think, because he had some strong pieces as we saw with Tuchel. But he did what he was, I think, employed to do primarily, which is bring the youth through. But beyond that, it was acknowledged that, you know, this is a good manager, but someone that doesn't have the extra chops to take it to where it needs to go, which is where Tuchel has taken the team to the point where Tuchel now, a Tuchel dip is a Lampard peak, right? But that's, that, sounds, that sounds, I'm not trying to be harsh to say that. I mean, like, Tuchel dipping below his level is, is Lampard's upper limit. That's because Tuchel is a truly elite coach of which I said before, there's only a handful really in the world. At one, one time. A handful. Yeah. And at one time, right. At one yeah. time. That's not a dig to Lampard. The frustration, and I do feel frustration about this appointment is, I think it is, again, you know, the, the nature of the recruitment. And Carl said this shout out to Carl Anker um, of the Athletic, but also the Wrighties House Parish. You know, Everton is just not clear what they want. Um, and the, the hiring process and this, unfortunately it comes from the owner like Farhad Moshiri. This is a terrible situation, a terrible case of an owner who's kind of hands off and hands on. It's the toxic combination. You are someone who is withdrawn, who doesn't communicate much with fans. Mm. You're barely in touch. And then when you're in touch, you're like, it's almost like a love bombing, right? You're barely in touch. And then when you're back in touch, it's like too much. You're not, like, you're too little and too much at the same time. And the Lampard appointment, to me, unfortunately, feels like, can I be brutal? It feels mm. like fame chasing. It feels like fame chasing because the profile of manager, you look at Everton and the pieces they have. Why are we taking risks with institutions of this nature? Great clubs, clubs of this size, clubs that have a fan base that's been through a lot, that hasn't won a trophy for what, almost 30 years, you know, well, you know, a long time was it? They won the last, that was the FA Cup in 95, I think. But even not just about trophies, about identity and fit. And I have to say, when I saw Frank Lampard link with the job, you know, I thought to myself, I thought, this is really unimaginative. What well, Everton at the moment is, is a visionary hire. And I don't mean a kind of a fancy name. I mean, just a name where you're like, that fits. You know, a name with, and, and to be honest with you as well, like, you know, you've mentioned Valverde a thousand times um, in relation to other jobs. The fact that names like that, what would worry me for Everton isn't just the final appointment. This is not a dig at Lampard specifically. It's really not. What would worry me as an Everton fan is, is the process. You can get, if you get a manager, it doesn't quite work. Okay, fine. But the process, the hiring process is so chaotic, so haphazard, that even if you do get the right person in place, because the process, you find that person in certain place, to build an infrastructure, you need, you know, the solid scaffolding around it. Mm-hmm. And the scaffolding at Everton just isn't, it's, it's just not there, right?
2: I think that's probably why a lot of managers wouldn't go near it from, from the continent. Because if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, because I think that um So I mean there, there is just no there is there is no scaffolding. Like you said, there is nothing right. There's there. No, There's no, no like Marcel Brands went. I thought I actually said we were talking in the Writers House WhatsApp group, and this was before I'd seen the we haven't even really talked about it, but uh the great Max Abel has announced that he's stepping back from Gladbach. And I said, I think someone like, if Everton were really smart, they would go after someone like Abel because Everton is a perfect gig for someone like him. Perfect yeah. gig and a perfect position in the Premier League. There are lots of similarities between Everton and Gladbach in terms of the type of club that it is, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much. So. Historically huge and uh, historically successful. When when uh, Max Abel did his press conference, which was really hard to watch actually, and he and he... he you know, he was in tears and he was saying that it was just it was kind of too much like health wise he was stepping back. It was a
0: really moving address that I have to say, like this it is was, someone that he really cares. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, he is one of the great um the one of the, the, the Bundesliga's great people. He just is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The service that he's given to Gladbach as player and as sporting director and stuff like that is just he's amazing, man. And he's he yeah. exactly what Everton need. However, as soon as it became clear that he wasn't going to take another job at the moment, then obviously that doesn't matter. But but someone like that, yeah. I think, coming in would be perfect. If you had someone like that in there, I think then yeah. people like Valverde or I don't know Lucien Favre,
0: right? Absolutely,
2: would would slot in there. But I think that that's a big ask for managers like that who have got a good reputation. They don't need to yeah. rush back into management. They will get a good gig at the moment. And this is going to sound really disrespectful and hopefully the podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago in Everton will make it will make Everton fans realise that this isn't a thing that's slagging off Everton.
0: No, it's not. It's not.
2: People who are genuinely going to want to take the Everton job at the moment, as Lampard is taking it, are people who feel like they maybe need to rebuild their reputation mm. or people who maybe feel like they've been hard done by in a previous gig and maybe think that their ability doesn't maybe match up with their reputation
0: or does that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is. So it's, because... it's, it's not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be harsh on Lampard. Is this more like, I don't understand why we're taking a risk like this, you know, as an appointment, like this is why you, I hate to say it, but when, it's, oh, yeah. when Antonio I mean... Conte came, Antonio Conte came into Spurs, right? Mm. You don't look at that and go, that's a risk. You're like, okay, that's a very good manager. There's a lot to get done, but you're like, that's a very good manager. You don't worry about it because the, the problem, with, the problem that Lampard has immediately, right, to the point about reputation you've made, the problem that Lampard has, Lampard goes in there and then the, the immediate feeling is both parties need this to work. That is it, a level of fundamental, sorry to, no, no, when no, you're no. building something, an infrastructure and a project, right, you don't want that. Like, you don't want that. You want, if one, you don't want both parties to be in a state of flux where no one's really quite sure how that's going to play out you don't need that or want that i don't think that's desirable for a club and i'm not i say this i'm not an everton fan but very sympathetic to what they're experiencing i just don't know why why this has happened and i'm not saying he won't do a good job i'm not saying that i'm saying that like the basis for it there's too much risk attached to this appointment is my is my point i suppose
2: Yeah, but I I think that um, Antonio Conte to Spurs is not a risky appointment because Spurs have an... No matter how much they've kind of balled up a load of stuff over the last few years, they do still have the infrastructure and the setup to attract someone like an Antonio Conte. Mm. Everton don't at the moment. The executive level is a mess. And Mm. then the one interesting thing about the Lampard hire is that I've seen stuff about potentially having Tim Cahill coming back in in a role. Yeah. And he's, now, he's obviously kind of been getting, getting experience in more executive roles since he finished football, since he finished yeah. playing. Him and Lampard are close. That to me is the more interesting potential appointment here. And the thing, the thing I want to say, I want to put on the record, is that I don't know whether the Lampard thing is a good hire or not. I actually don't know. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it's going to work, and I'm not saying it's not going to work, because I genuinely, Musa, I do not know.
0: If I'm honest, I don't either. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, And and I was thinking about this this morning before we we recorded and I was like, I genuinely don't know if he deserves the gig or not. Mm, I genuinely don't know whether he's the right man for the gig or not. And Mm. even though my gut says he's probably not, but I think that Mm. the reason that Everton potentially might not get the right person for the gig is for the reasons that we've mentioned. So I'm really on the fence about this. I think there's a reason why Wayne Wayne Rooney turned it down, let's say, apparently.
0: I mean, there's also, 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 shout to him though, the the job he's doing at Derby and I feel like that is, that's a project he wants to complete.
2: But the job that he's doing there under the circumstances is genuinely incredible. Mm. He doesn't need to risk that yet. Right. He's been very sensible. And also I think he's probably got like a real sense of loyalty to Derby. Mm. Like leaving them now is probably not something he wants to do. It's a tricky situation, that Evan job at the moment. I think we said on the podcast that I thought the best thing probably was to go into him until the end of the season and then make a move for someone proper, regroup, restructure, potentially bring in the team. What I'm trying to say by this is that I think that, like, I'm not really slating Lampard here in terms of saying, like, he shouldn't have this gig, he should never get this gig. Because I genuinely don't know at the moment. Everton are really confusing, and, um, and and I'm not particularly sure how good a manager Frank Lampard is or could be. We discussed his pros and his cons as Chelsea manager. Like he did a great job bringing the people, the young people through. He deserved a lot of credit for that. Whilst at the same time, maybe like you said, not operating at the level needed for Chelsea, which we then saw Tuchel come in and do. Mm-hmm. So.
0: But maybe but that could it, be good enough. It could be good enough for Everton. It to could get be. Like a mid, looked, yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: I think he's probably personally. I think the signs so far have showed that he's he's a probably a more astute coach and manager than Lampard. But Gerard's impact at Aston Villa mm. has been interesting. Maybe Everton are hoping for something similar there.
0: Gerard has proved more. This is the thing. It's you know what he did at Rangers, not only domestically but in Europe, was extremely impressive. Yeah, it was extremely impressive the way that he integrates new signings the way he works with players that he that he's come in and found like he you see that with Gerald I suppose the question is what's the upper limit that Everton envisage right obviously Chelsea envisaged uh, a particular upper limit for what they wanted to be um, I, I think that Chelsea you know uh, Thomas Tuchel is he's the co- he's the finishing school he's the final piece that takes you to the very top and that's true of Klopp and that's top of Pep Guardiola. The question I suppose for Everton is, does Lampard take you from, you know, a difficult position in the league to upper mid table and then chasing pack? What, what, what I suppose what's, what's the upper limit for Everton's ambitions and is Lampard the person to get you into the upper limit? I'm not entirely convinced um, that he is. And again, it's one of those cases where you want to be wrong because you want the club to do well. So, good luck to both parties. One thing I was thinking about was
2: like, what happens when the
0: players don't stick to the plan.
2: Because there was a lot of that's one for the players that you're gonna have to ask the players. Like you know, the players do this, the players do this. Players didn't do this.
0: I didn't like that. I must say that was the part. Yeah,
2: yeah. You haven't got the you haven't got the squad at Everton, and morale is low. Mm. Morale can't afford to drop any more than it than it currently is
0: if I'm profoundly critical of one thing is what you flagged up there, like, you know, we know it's a challenge, uh, managing, um, that club. It's a difficult situation, but just think that was the one trait that I found the most negative about his management style. Like there was a sort of a particular speed with which players were, were criticized and it's not, this is the thing. I mean, I know it's the Turkle things, maybe unfair to contrast, but you know, Turkle's extremely critical of players but that's the thing that he does when they're in the ascendancy or whatever. If it took, all, it's just like, okay, this is, but it's more of a frankness. It's not like I won't criticize myself. It's more like, yep, that player delivered, that player didn't. It's a frankness, a kind of, whereas the Lampard, it felt very much as if he was kind of trying to give himself a stay of execution. Um,
1: mm.
0: And that will only be a more, you know, in a different context because if you Chelsea, you're chasing different goals. But in terms of what Everton tried to avoid, that will be an equally severe problem in its own way. If he can navigate that, if he can work out a way not to do that, then it could be a good dividend for him.
2: I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope it works out because why not? Yeah. Right. I'm more interested to see what pieces are added above Lampard at executive level, really, because I think that could be the difference. That's key.
0: That's key. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And before we go, I would like to address something from the previous episode. Go for it. My Penenka Law. <laughs> Someone slid into my DMs the other day. Amazing. And that person was Joe Devine from TIFO. Ah, uh, 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 the TIFO parish. I said I was going to read this out, so he's, he's all good with it. He said, I have many thoughts about your Penenka bit. <laughs> he said, at first, I thought, excellent, I love it. And then when he said the second penalty would be the best placement for that, I thought actually later would be better. Because until you take it, the keeper is expecting one of three directions. But once it's been taken, they're just expecting two. But then I realized maybe you can do more than one Penenka. The second would totally catch the keeper out. Is that in the rules? I don't know. But then I realized if both keepers stayed standing the entire time, they'd both definitely save one penalty and hope that the opposition missed at least one. So it doesn't work at all because because it's completely beatable. In essence, lovely bit of originality, but also how dare you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I love? I love that he went through the full pen-taking process and philosophy by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So
2: to clarify, you have to take at least one Penenka. So you can take as many mm-hmm. as you want. Right. But also you added in the possibility of then making penalties six minimum. So we yeah. increased the shootout to six. the minimum of one Penenka per six, but you can take as many as you want. Yeah. Yeah. The keeper would definitely save one if they stood still the entire time. Yeah, for sure. But would that be enough? Who knows? With this new chaotic world of Ryan's Penenka penalty law.
0: (laughs) But also the increased agility of goalkeepers compared to before and the amount they move. It's just, They've narrowed the odds. If, you know, goalkeepers have made penalties a fair fight, even in like, you know, in regular time.
2: Maybe you could add another rule for a goalkeeper then. and so that they, they have to face at least one penalty with their back to the shooter.
0: <laughs> so they have to turn around. And then if
2: you really, if you want to be really cheeky and you see the goalkeeper turn around and it's your turn to take a
0: penalty, chip it on their head. <laughs> or they have to wear it with that bandana over their eyes. <gasps> and get spun around three times.
2: <laughs> that's actually it the fourth official or the assistant referee instead of standing off to the side the other one goes up to the goalkeeper spins them round three times and takes the blindfold off and runs out of the way just as the person's running up to take the penalty so the referee blows the whistle they whip the blindfold off the keeper's still spinning around they're all dizzy and then they need to regain their focus there you go <laughs> All of a sudden, we've just we turned uh, elite top level penalty shootouts into Takeshi's
0: Castle, or oh, or oh, really awful. In a play, in a sudden death, you have to take a, a penalty against your own goalkeeper, and the trap door opens. <laughs> yeah, the trap.
1: <laughs>
0: Love it. Um, I do have a shout out this week. Um, a quick thank you. So I was back at my old uni um, over in Oxford this week. And Martin, Julianne and Simakai, listeners of the Stadio podcast, lovely they got in touch. They were like, oh, do you want to go for a coffee? So I caught up with them. And that was an absolute delight. They send their best to you, Ryan. Many thanks. Really nice to meet Stadio listeners in the wild, you know, when you're out and about. So yeah, that was a really nice time. We had a good coffee spot. Yeah, very much so. I uh, wouldn't know. Oh, no. <laughs>
2: but uh, anyway, I think, that's, I think we're good for today, right? I think we are. Yeah, we're good. All right. Much love everyone. We hope you're all staying safe and well, getting vaccinated if you can, getting that boost if you can. No doubt. Uh Stadio Watch plays on Spotify. Oh, we're playing out this episode on Saskia. You left your soul behind, nice mellow one. Uh the forward slash soccer, his right house on Wednesday, myself and Ian on that one. Stadio back on Thursday. Anything you wanna add, Musa sort of
0: No, I'm all good. I'm good.
2: Yeah? Yeah. Lovely. Oh Stadio newsletter is coming soon. The next edition stadio.football scroll to the bottom pop your email address sign up if you'd like to receive that I think that's everything alright well great no more takes from Musa.
0: Musa is <laughs> take free take free do you know what I might wear my stadio sweatshirt today well I wish I could wear mine it's still not arrived yet so oh no <laughs> uh,
2: Musa's doing his take on dry January which is just no takes no takes <laughs> on the <whole> of January <laughs> alright let's get out of here See you Thursday. See you soon, team.